With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to the Over the Monster podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined for the August 5th podcast by Keaton DeRocher of Over the Monster and the Dynasty Guru. Keaton, how are you? Doing good. Recording the podcast from my third consecutive different city. Uh, I guess fourth consecutive if you consider there was a, a stop in between two Chicago recordings. And uh, we'll make it a brand new city again next week when I record from uh, back in New England, back home in Maine on vacation. So so where are you right now? I'm in Atlanta. Hot Atlanta. Yeah. So we did Chicago, LA, Chicago, Atlanta, and it'll be Bar Harbor next week. Ooh, Bar Harbor's a uh, really nice place. It is. Yeah. It's substantially nicer than any of those other places you named. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would say so. Yeah, yeah. Um, Love better not, seafood. Not, not to knock any of those other locales. They all have their perks, but um, Bar Harbor is just really nice. So I'm jealous. Sure um, but we are here to talk about the Red Sox today. Um, so last week we kicked it off by talking about how amazing the week had been. And this week we're going to talk about how amazingly terrible, um, this past week of baseball has been. The Red Sox going into tonight's Sunday night baseball game against the Yankees, which was supposed to have started now, but is delayed, um, have lost seven straight baseball games. Um, this is not good. Um, after they had made a substantial push going 5-2 and two versus Tampa in New York the week prior. Uh, they finished that up by uh, losing those seven games in a row, and now they're 5-8 and eight through 13 games of that season-defining 14-game stretch. Um, this really is not how we drew it up, and I really just didn't think the season was going to go like this, but... You know, the interesting thing about this is I played some funeral music for the Red Sox the day after uh, the trade deadline where the Red Sox decided to do nothing uh, because I really believed that that was going to be the turning point for the season and that the season would be effectively over at that point. Uh, Matt thought it was pretty reactionary. I don't blame him. Probably was, but I think that I might have been correct in that. Well, I... uh I wanted. I thought it was funny that you you chose. I think you just looked for like sad bagpipes because the the song was "Amazing Grace," which is supposed to be a hopeful, uplifting song, <laughs> um, which was the exact opposite tone. I think you were going for. <laughs> well, yeah. It, it, being from um, Massachusetts, uh, we play "Amazing Grace" at everybody's funeral, um, so <laughs> that's sort of why I went there. But yeah. 
I get that. That is a little bit ironic. You couldn't have gone with uh, Drunken Lullabies, Dropkick Murphys? Drunken Lullabies is uh, Flogging Molly. Is it? Yes. Wow. <laughs> Man, I've been out of New England too long. <laughs> you have. <laughs> you're, oh, you're, shit, you're right. It is. You're mixing up your Irish bands, my friend. I am. Well, that's fitting. Why not? That's just part of the week. Yep. Um, so so let's get to it, Keaton. Um, the, the big elephant in the room here is the thing that has really upset both of us. And, you know, I ranted about this quite a bit, but I really have been looking forward to all week uh, breaking this down with you so we can be sour bros together. Um, but Dave Dombrowski choosing not to add to this team at the trade deadline seemed to me to be a crazy choice. Um, at the time that the trade deadline hit, the team had been 5-3 and three over that stretch. They did lose the Sunday night baseball game last week. Uh, the Chris Sale start to the Yankees, um, followed by losing the next game to uh, the Tampa Bay Rays at home. But at that point, like there was still a lot of hope bound with the team, and it seemed like you know, they were poised to make a big move. And then Dombrowski decides to do absolutely nothing. Um, what was your initial reaction to that, Keaton? What the fuck was that? That was my initial reaction. Uh, not doing anything, just sitting on your hands while guys like Shane Green went for like B and C level prospects from Atlanta. That was a real missed opportunity. Um, Nick Cassianos went for like even less. So. I mean, we're talking about how there's no depth. Red Sox could have easily gotten both of those, even with how terrible their farm system is, which is just kind of pathetic. But not doing anything at the trade deadline, I probably would have been okay with, particularly with how, I mean, they had lost a couple games coming into it. But at the moment, there was a lot more optimism and momentum behind the Red Sox, but what really got me was Dombrowski's comments. The not doing anything kind of felt like a bit of a slap in the face, but then once Dombrowski actually made his comments, it felt like more of a spit in the face. It just made it so much worse. Like, the the biggest thing that I think Red Sox fans have a problem with is being spoken to like we're idiots, which is, I think, why people took such an issue with, even myself included, with uh, his stupid assertion that uh, why do we need to go get a bullpen arm? We're going to get Nathan Evaldi back, and he's going to solve all our problems, and that's that's going to be our trade deadline acquisition. They tried to do the same thing last year, too, but um, I don't remember who it was now, but it was someone coming back from injury, and they were like, that's our trade deadline acquisition. But it's, it's so stupid, and how like the things that he said in that press conference were just as stupid. And I think the biggest <laughs> the biggest thing – was that he was saying every like we wouldn't believe the amount of people that called him to inquire about his relievers. Who, in their right mind, would want one of the Red Sox relievers on their team? How would any one of those relievers help another team be successful? They can't even help this team be successful. So how could they help anybody else? Why would anybody want any of these relievers? Like That just seemed like such a veiled... like. Well, I should probably just say this to try and make the guys feel a bit better. Like, I didn't make any moves, but it's because they're really good and I trust them. Like, I don't know if that was the way he was trying to play it, but it did not come off the way at all. And it made him sound like an idiot. 
and it really just pissed everybody off even more than not having made a move at the deadline. Like he had a chance to be like, you know what? Our farm system's not that strong. We didn't have the firepower to get some of these other guys, but we believe in what we have. And we feel like what we have is a team that can make the playoffs and push it. And basically what he was said was like, well, they're not good enough to win the division and we don't give a shit about the wild card. So who cares? Like he went in the complete opposite direction. Like how is the team supposed to hear that and then think, you know what? I'm gonna go have a great game today. Cause my, my front office does not care about me. How? I don't understand what the motivation behind that was at all. Yeah, I've heard some people talk about the non-moves by Dombrowski um, and whether or not that was a decision that was reached by Dombrowski and Cora or whether it was just Dombrowski. Um, and framing that as almost a challenge to the players. Like, hey, listen, we have a $246 million payroll nearly. We have the biggest payroll in baseball. Um, here's a challenge. Play better. Like... You know, that's what you need to do. And I don't understand that level of thinking um, with this situation. And I, if that was the the decision made to, like, challenge them into playing better, um, I think that's incredibly stupid. And I think it's short-sighted. And also, I understand if you thought or if Dombrowski thought, hey, this team doesn't really have the look of a team that's going to go far in the playoffs. Because you know what? I agree with Dombrowski on that. Um, I don't think this team has the look of a team that can go far in the playoffs. However, all of the relievers that we had talked about up to this point, the Shane Greens, the Felipe Vasquez's, the Edwin Diaz, the Kirby Yates, all these guys were not guys that were simply going to be on the Red Sox for the rest of this season. They were guys that were going to come in. They were going to do a lot to stabilize the back end of the bullpen this year, but they would have also been part of a very successful baseball team that we were planning to have next year. And that's the thing that really pissed me off about this is that you're going to still have this problem. You're just pushing this down the road. And at the same time, you're taking the all the air out of the room in the Red Sox clubhouse by not doing anything. That's a vote of no confidence. That's a wave of the white flag, in my opinion. Um, and it's it's not to say that like you know um there there weren't valuable pieces in the Red Sox bullpen like yeah he's right like if people wanted to if the Red Sox decided to sell and they wanted to trade Matt Barnes and Brennan Workman like yeah they would have people lining up to trade for those guys but that's not where this team was finishing 5 and 3 heading into that that deadline you know this team was clearly in a buy mode and it was a conscious decision to wave the flag on this season um and i i just really don't get that and i agree with you that the optics of it just were really bad and the thing that he should have said was if he looked at all those those elite bullpen arms and decided that he didn't want to pay the prices because it would have cost a chavis or a benintendi or a tristan casas or a durant um Tell us that. Tell us that he didn't want to pay the those prices for those guys. Um, and, and that is something we could understand. But sitting here and saying things like Dombrowski, and this is a direct quote, we don't have that gaping hole for us. And we have some guys in the minor league system who we think can help us. No, we do have a gaping hole. It's the rotation that's not performing up to expectations, and it's the lack of a closer here and an inability to close out games in high leverage spots, which we are going to talk about at length later on in this podcast. And zero depth. Yes, exactly. 
like there wasn't even a minor move like last year where they added Evaldi and Pierce. Like there wasn't even that move where it was just a, a depth move and dumping some like lower level minor skies. And and that's what I don't understand is if he if Dombrowski was making the decision that they were basically punting on this year, why wouldn't they have traded Barnes and Workman and gotten right. something in return? They should have sold if they were going to just do nothing, um, I believe. Uh, because the effect that doing nothing after doing really well had was one that I think was even more damaging than if the team had just kind of puttered along at 500 and like didn't expect to be buyers. You know how we were talking about like last week, maybe, maybe if the Red Sox don't do well on this stretch, they'll just simply stand pat because they don't really have a lot to sell. That would have made sense if they just continued to play 500 baseball. But at that point, like... It didn't seem like it really mattered what the Red Sox did that week. They had already sort of decided that they weren't going to invest in this club. Yeah, and honestly, I, I thought about this. Um, I wanted to get your thoughts. So Ken Giles had that elbow thing, right? So he probably didn't have a ton of value. But in order for a trade to go through, you still have to pass a physical. What's What would have been the harm in agreeing to something with Giles and having your doctors take a look and see if it was worth it. Cause it cost probably wouldn't have been nearly as much as it was before that. And, uh, I think he was, he was supposed to pitch or he got cleared to pitch today. So it didn't seem to be that serious. Yeah. I mean, I, I would have been fully in support of that move. Um, especially because I believe Ken Giles has next season under control as well. Um, if the price was reduced, but what you might have had there is a situation where Toronto simply said, hey, we don't want to sell an elite asset for less than he's worth. And you know, selling him injured at the deadline or perceived to be injured, we could get more from him with just a year of control next year in the offseason when he's fully healthy. So that could have been the situation there. Yeah, definitely could. That's probably the smarter move for Toronto. Yeah. Um, but, but by and large, uh, I think that another one of the comments that really upset me here was Dombrowski talking about, uh, the one game wild card. He said, we're battling for a spot. Realistically, you're playing for a one game wild card. And I look at that a little bit differently. What this tells me is that Dave Dombrowski looked at where the Red Sox were in the division, um, and decided that it wasn't worth pushing for that one game wild card spot because he views that as almost a coin flip proposition. And I think that that is maybe the way that someone would look at that situation from an analytics standpoint. But I think news to Dave Dombrowski, you're in the entertainment business. Sports is entertainment. And at the end of the day, um, you're trying to sell the city on this baseball team. And the way to do that is to add to a club, create some excitement. Every single person in Boston wants this World Series champion club to be back in the postseason and to be able to have an opportunity to, um, you know, defend that title. And if that comes down to a one-game playoff, fine. Um, I think we'd all be in favor of that uh, versus the alternative of what's happened here where the Red Sox have fallen six games back of the second wild card spot. Yeah. And I feel like it's more than a 50, 50 
chance. I mean, it's a one-game playoff. There's two teams, so logically, sure. But when you are the Red Sox and you have the best offense in baseball and you need one good start to get to the next round, I like the Red Sox odds a lot more than 50-50 in a one-game playoff. And then from there, who knows? I could win an ALCS or ALDS. Um, well, maybe not after Houston's move of Grenke. That was massive. Yeah, it was a huge move. And <laughs> I'm like super rooting for either Houston or the Indians to make it out of the American League because those teams both were bold as hell at the deadline. Yeah. I'd like to see Houston and the Dodgers again, and the Dodgers lose a third straight. That'd just be kind of funny. Yeah, another team that didn't buck up and actually trade for anything. Yeah. They're pretty darn good, though. And they, they actually are. have like an ass ton of depth like everywhere. I, I think overall, though, Keaton, I was very disappointed at this deadline in general, and Ken Rosenthal had a killer article about how disappointing it was and the way that GMs are looking at this. And, you know, I read some quotes from that article in the um, the uh, Locked On Red Sox podcast earlier in this week, but I'll, I'll sum it up for you guys with, with one quote here uh, from Ross Atkins, general manager of the Blue Jays, that said that the team's series of trades had turned 14 years of control into 42 years of control. Um, and, and I think that when we start thinking about baseball in those terms and belittling accomplishments like the one-game wildcard play-in um, as not really the playoffs – all of a sudden, you're taking away uh, massive amounts of enjoyment from the team, and things can't just be numbers. You know, some of the best things that have happened, and I spent this past week looking at all of the Red Sox trade deadline acquisitions in July, dating back to uh, as long as they've been tracking July trades. Um, I looked at all the all the clubs that the Red Sox have ever traded with over their history uh, to look at July trades, and you wouldn't have so many of the playoff runs that the Red Sox had had you not had bold July trades made. And specifically, I think it was 2004 that I was looking at with the acquisitions of Doug Minkiewicz and Orlando Cabrera and trading Nomar Garcia-Para and all these different things. Dave Roberts. Dave Roberts, yeah, that was another one of the trades from from 04. I mean, those are all trades that if you looked at it strictly from a control point of view like the Red Sox lost a lot of those trades in terms of the assets that they gave up they they the control but no one would ever question that and I think that baseball has gotten too far away from that and uh, needs to get back to giving themselves the best chance to put a good product on the field in that season and stop worrying about you know how much value in young players they're potentially giving up yeah and people talk about the the perception that baseball is dying. It's not, but the perception that it is is because of shit like that, where um, teams aren't willing to actually spend and invest and things like that to make their teams competitive. So you have, like, whatever the hell is going on with the Marlins. And who the hell is going to want to watch that? So, and quotes like, um, you're not trading years of control. Like, you can have... 42 years of control of really shitty baseball players. And I would take 14 years of control of much more exciting baseball players. So I, that mindset, I, I'm with you. That, that drives me nuts. 
And it's killing the offseason and it's killing the trade deadline. Yeah. Well, the offseason has become just a non-event. And the trade deadline versus the year-round <clears throat> spectacle that, you know, something like the NBA is, it's just, it's laughable how forgettable the uh, MLB trade line is. And, you know, Rosenthal said in that same article, if it wasn't for that deadline, like, deal that the the Astros made for Granke, which happened at the very last moment, uh, it would have been a completely forgettable trade deadline. No, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, not great. But what I want to do here is, um, Keaton, can you make the argument for not making a trade for me? for Just for posterity's sake, sake, make the argument for the Red Sox not making any moves at the trade deadline. I think he touched on it. It's all of the elite options uh, for the bullpen were expensive and they didn't have firepower to get it done in the ax- ac- asking price. Uh, the stupid rumors that popped up like two days before the deadline about trading Benintendi, that was ridiculous. Um, that was never going to happen. And I'm pretty positive that there was no way that Javis was going to get dealt either. But both of those, like, for something to have gotten done, probably one or both of those guys would have had to get traded, and there's no way that that was going to make the Red Sox better. So if they were looking for much more elite-level prospects, then sure, Red Sox didn't have the firepower to get it done. But um, I'm honestly shocked that that was not the route that Dombrowski went to uh, explain away the trade deadline and instead was just like, this team sucks. <laughs> but that would be the way that I would explain it. And that honestly, sure, I buy that. Yeah, I, I would agree. And I would have felt much better if that was the explanation. But the other thing that bothers me about that train of thought about the idea that Dave Dombrowski all of a sudden had this, I don't know, poof of enlightenment where he was like, ah, you know what? I'm not going to trade prospects anymore. Like, now is not the time. Now is not the time to come to that sudden decision that, you know, the farm needs to be cultivated and and looked at as some precious little garden that you need to grow. Sorry, Dave. The the farm system is still fairly barren. And Tristan Casas, um, for this recent MLB.com re-ranking was the only one that made the top 100 in that group. I believe he was 90th in that recent ranking. Um, these are not the, the guys that you are protecting. There's, you know, Tristan Casas could be a guy that you take off the table. But even if you take Casas off the table, you still have Dahlbeck who just got promoted to AAA. You still have Jaron Duran who played in the Futures game. You still have like very real assets that should be major leaguers, but aren't Devers-type major leaguers. They aren't Bogarts-type major leaguers. They aren't that type of impact prospect. So for you to make the choice like, hey, I'm not going to deal from this crop of guys to get like a Diaz or a Yates or something like that, that just doesn't mesh with the way that Dembrowski has operated since 2016, where he came in here and was very ready to trade guys with pedigrees that were much higher than the current crop of prospects that he currently is sitting on. Um, I didn't understand that move, especially when there were so many avenues open to him for making moves that would have had an impact in the future as well as right now. 
Yeah, I mean, it goes back even before 2016. Like, Dombrowski hasn't been shy in his, like, entire tenure in baseball to fire off prospects. And now all of a sudden he wants to hold on to them? Doesn't make sense. You had a chance to make your team competitive or more competitive to the point where they could have challenged for a World Series and instead you decided to, I guess, punt and try it again next year. I don't think that has ever been the mindset for the Red Sox in 30 years, maybe even longer than that. Yeah, I would agree. It's it's a uh, it seems like a very uh, very marked heel change to where the Red Sox have been, and I just don't understand the reasoning there. All right, Keaton. So enough about this um, really crappy bad deadline. Um, well, not quite, not quite. Uh, <laughs> I I, I want to ask you one more question before we move on. Um, okay. Uh, something that might be difficult to quantify here, but uh, since since the deadline has passed and the Red Sox did nothing, um, they went on to lose another five games in a row after being on that mini two-game skid. Um, give me a percentage of how much you attribute their play uh, post-deadline to the decision not to add to the club there. Uh, I don't know if you got to see the Ken Rosenthal um interview of Mookie Betts uh, in the dugout, but Mookie was asked point blank by Ken Rosenthal about whether or not they were upset that, um, you know, they didn't add anything to the clubhouse. And Mookie really hesitated and he said something like, you could say maybe yes, you could say maybe no, but the guys here really have to play better. But that was like about as much emotion as you ever get from Mookie Betts, um, the hesitation. And I thought it was pretty clear that he was pissed. And I feel like 70% of their bad play since then can be attributed to this huge letdown. So here's the thing about the playing better. Okay. Tonight is game 114. And we have been hearing since the first week of the season when they went, when they started the season two and eight, that, the team just needs to play better. How many more games do you need to see them suck before you're just like, hey, maybe they suck. Maybe I should get them some help. We're 114 games into this, and every single week we say, we just need to play better. We just need to play better. We just need to play better. I mean, you can predict word for word what Alex Cora's press conferences are going to be. If they haven't played better by now, they're not going to. So yeah. either get them some help or... State is just, like, flat out, just be like, we're giving up on this season, we're done. So we can all just move on to the next thing. That drives me freaking nuts that we just need to play better. That works when it's, like, the first month of the season. When Rick Porcello still sucks at game 114, he's not going to get better, just magically at this point. Chris Sale, he's been up and down. He's not all of a sudden just going to be consistent from here on out. And we've documented his issues pretty thoroughly on this podcast. But other guys that have been struggling with the bullpen, we figured they were going to suck coming into the year. And guess what? They've sucked. That's not a surprise. So the, the biggest surprise is the pitching staff, which was really good last year and has been really bad. This team needed help. 
You can't just keep saying here, 114 games into the season, we just need to play better because it hasn't happened yet. So it's not going to happen. They needed a kick in the pants, some kind of help. They clearly wanted it, and you didn't give it to them. So I think you're right. It's probably something like 70-something percent because that's clearly bothered them. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, it, it, it feels good to, to get an investment in someone who can come in and, and relieve a little of the pressure. Uh, and I know that that's a lot to put on what we were probably looking at as one to two arms added to this thing in a best-case scenario, a back-end guy and someone like an Andrew Chapin, you know, a couple arms to come in here and stabilize things. But I think that would have just done a lot for the players mentally. And they were already rolling offensively. It's really just the pitching side that hasn't – fully lived up to its expectations this year. You can say what you want about the Red Sox with runners in scoring position, and that's certainly been a problem, uh, situational hitting this year. Um, but I, I wouldn't say that the offense is anywhere close to the top. Of, of that's the wild, that isn't it? Having. How bad yeah, they've really been is. with runners in scoring position, and they're still the, the best offense in the league. <laughs> that's wild. They just have so many of those eight-plus run nights uh, when when it doesn't matter. You know, they... They love blowing teams out, and then they love not scoring in games that are like four to two. So it's it's very frustrating, and it, it creates this this incredibly frustrating team to watch. Um, but w- one of the things I want to get to here is the total bizarreness around uh, the Red Sox during this stretch this week um, in the team meeting stuff. So earlier in the week, uh, Cora told a whole bunch of different outlets that he was planning on having a team meeting uh, on the way to New York or during during the series of New York. I, I can't remember which one. I think it was on the way to New York where he was planning on having this meeting and he said he wasn't sure what he was going to talk about or when he was going to do it. Um, but he said it on the radio and then he said it to a bunch of beat guys. And then he never had the meeting. And then he acted like everybody else was a weirdo for asking if – he had the meeting and then he was like well if i had the meeting first of all i wouldn't tell you guys about it and also he said something about like joking about the meeting and it was just really fucking weird because probably what happened is he was thinking about having a meeting decided not to because the players were like nah we want to have the meeting as a players only thing and he was like yeah that's cool but then decided to not tell anybody about that or be super weird about it and the players did end up having their own players-only meeting, um, which doesn't doesn't sound like it was very productive. It seemed like they were just sharing ideas about how not to suck, um, which was probably super awkward for the pitching staff. But um, I don't I don't <laughs> yeah. know what to make of this whole thing. You know, it's just really <laughs> awkward. Everything about it was awkward. I just imagine like a a Jets Sharks scenario where there's all of the hitters on one side, all the pitchers on the other, and the hitters with their knives drawn, like, can you just have, like, one clean inning? Just one. Yeah, one we'll shutdown inning. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, like, Chris Sale is just flaying himself in the meeting. <laughs> I mean, oh, Sale, I would love to Sale probably sleeps on a bed of nails every night that he has a start like that. The guy hates himself yeah, right now. I would believe it. Yeah. He does. But he's so thin, he probably just falls between the nails. Mm, I like it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't I don't really Brutal. think that that team meeting is going to have any effect. Um, 
No, it just it feels I like, like Jerry Remy's is... analysis where he just shredded them on the air. That <laughs> that was fun. Oh, I missed that. I must have had the TV oh, on yeah. mute during that. Tell me, uh, tell me the gist. I love a good angry Jerry. Yeah, it was one of the few times that I didn't have it muted because I'm normally watching while I'm doing a bunch of other stuff. Uh, but I actually had the uh, had the volume on, and he just started because they were talking about the the meeting thing. And I think uh, OB asked him, like, did players only meetings work? <laughs> he was like, absolutely not. It's an absolute joke. They never work. It's just a whole circus act. It's just, it's, they do absolutely nothing for the team whatsoever. <laughs> he just shredded them. Well, well, Cora has been on record saying the exact same thing, which is why I think it is strange that he even said that he was going to have a players only meeting in general because he's such a, like, yeah, that shit doesn't matter. I've been a player. Like he comes from it from that side of things, um, and I think Core does so many great things as a manager. Like the way that he rode Erod this year to get the best performance out of Erod was was awesome. The way he approached Devers, not uh, really going for that ball uh, two days ago, um, was really important. And I think that he's like great at setting the tone with young guys. He's gotten so much out of the Latin guys that I think that John Farrell hasn't. Uh, been able to and he's great in so many different ways but like it's been a weird week and i i guess like i can't fault the guy because if you're ever gonna choose to have a weird week it's probably when your team's on a seven game losing streak and the world is literally burning around you i will say that one of uh the greatest things cora has ever done was the first game of the doubleheader yesterday the fake mound visit to make the home plate umpire walk to the pitcher's mound to yell at him. <laughs> That's such a petty move, and I loved it. Like, I'm not going to walk out to you so you don't have to move to make my point. I'm going to make you walk to me, and then I'm going to get my point across. Like, was that Easterman or Easterbrook or whatever his name <clears throat> yeah. is? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and Remy called it, too, right, as like he got there because he got to the mound, and he's like, Cora, like, as he was walking out there, they were talking about how Cora has come out to, like, do mound visits a lot more often than just the pitching coach this year. And they were like, hey, he usually does that. Like, they want to get a point across, whatever. They actually, like, they've set up, like, pickoff plays and stuff. And then uh, he got to the mound. He wasn't saying anything. And Remy's like, I bet he's he's just waiting for the umpire to get there so he can yell into it. And the umpire just gets right up to him and then... He immediately just turns and starts yelling and gets tossed. That was a, that was an awesome petty move, and I was all for it. I love stuff like that. I'm so here for that. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Good um, stuff. But and so if Core is there, it's not a players-only meeting, right? No, but I don't think he was. Well, right, but in, initially he was announcing that it was just going to be like a team meeting. Right, which I don't know. I'm not necessarily against like a full on team meeting. Like if Core is there and they're like, "Hey, we need to take inventory of ourselves because we're just not where we want to be," and they kind of have like some kind of structured meeting like that with Core there, I feel like that's that would be much more productive than just the players like, "Hey guys, can we stop sucking?" Well, we'll try. Let's see if we stop sucking today. All right. Yeah. I mean, it's, I don't know what you can say. <laughs> what is there to say, Keaton? Like, hey, pitchers. Yeah, I guess that's, a, I don't know. Heads out of your ass, please. 
on the count of three. Right. It's fairly obvious where the deficiencies are. So, if anything, I feel like a player is only meeting like that, where the offense is like clearly pulling their weight, but one side of the ball isn't. That probably creates more division than unity, right? <laughs> yeah, I would think so. Um, do you? How much of this blame do you attribute to Daniel Avangi? Boy, that is a fair question. Um, yeah, that's something that hasn't been brought up a ton um, because Dana did such a good job as the bullpen coach for like ever, uh, like 20 years. And he did a good job last year as the pitching coach. Um, and he's the pitching coach again this year. But I don't know how much of this is Dana, how much of this is the offseason approach to the workload that these guys had in the postseason. Um, there's a lot of unknowns about this year that make it very difficult for me to kind of assess. I think it's definitely part of the pie, and you're right. I think you should probably start getting more criticism because it's basically just been on the players themselves for poor performance. Cora, which... I don't. I think I don't think the majority of uh, blame should really be on Cora because, I mean, he's just going out there with the team that he has. So if he has a bunch of starting pitchers that suck, it's not really his fault for rolling Porcello out there with an ERA over six. He doesn't have anybody else to pitch, so he kind of has to. So to me, it's it's probably it's mostly on Dombrowski and probably just the the pitchers themselves and the. Uh, the coaching staff as a whole, not particularly singling Cora out, but the pitching, like the just the staff as a unit, for not trying to help these guys out more, <clears throat> or maybe they are and they're just it's just not working. Which at that point, probably need to let someone go and get some people in there who can make it work. So that's that's a very I feel fair like point. It- I need to see one more season of Levangi as pitching coach to really assess this in any sort of a fair way because there's so much that went into this year. Um, but I think it's fair that we need to levy some criticism in his direction. We should just bring Farrell back. He was way more successful as a pitching coach anyway. Oh, God. I don't want that. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about this, uh, th- this team a little bit more from the bullpen perspective. And this will be the last the last real touch on this before we get to some listener questions here. Um, but this is this is a fatally flawed team due to the starting pitching performance being so far under expectations and the fact that the bullpen can't create any shutdown innings. Um, but we looked at some stats, Keaton, and, and we really were able to quantify this a little bit more than we had before in terms of where the Red Sox uh, rate in certain areas. Um, and so... Just in terms of reliever ERA, uh, where the Red Sox are, they have a 4.52 ERA overall in their relief, uh, which is 16th uh, in baseball, basically middle of the pack in terms of, of ERA. Um, but when you dig a little bit deeper into how their relievers have performed in high leverage spots, um, you know, situations where there's either men on base, the games in 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 hand, it's you know it's it's in the it, it's in the balance I should say. Um, the Red Sox are um, 
sixth from worst in baseball, right around teams like the White Sox, the Tigers, the Blue Jays, the Orioles, the Mariners, and Royals, um, teams you don't want to be near in this department uh, in high leverage ERA with an ERA of 11.48. Now, that might not sound... um, crazy considering there's men on base the best mark in baseball is the giants at 6.57 but some of the other playoff clubs that we have been talking about and competing with all year um the rays are third best in baseball in that regard uh the astros are fifth best the yankees are sixth best the twins are eighth best um all these teams that are in the playoff hunt are successful, substantially more successful in high leverage spots than the Red Sox relievers have been. Yeah, I think the teams around them are really tell the story. Like when we think about bad bullpens this year, like the first ones that come to mind are um like Baltimore, Detroit, even with having one good reliever. Uh, Washington, who's only like a couple spots ahead of them, has been very bad for uh, most of the season, but the, over the last month actually hasn't been all that bad. So they've actually made a lot of progress. And that's right where they are. They're right there with the worst bullpens that come to mind, which is pretty fitting. But that was not a shock to see that. Yeah, no, not at all. Um, and I think what, what else is not a shock is – that the Red Sox struggles as a starting unit, which was supposed to be a strength of this team, are ranked 20th in all of baseball uh, with nearly a 5 ERA, 4.99 heading into this game against the Yankees. Um, the, the teams that are at the top there, Nationals, Rays, Dodgers, Twins, Astros, Reds, Cubs, um, Indians, the usual suspects, you know, the teams that we thought would have good rotations. And even the Yankees, whose rotation we've been talking about how bad it is, our 17th in baseball, uh, better than the Red Sox by nearly 0.2 runs a game in starters ERA. But I think when you actually dig into the individual performance of the relievers on the team and their win probability added and how they perform in high leverage situations using uh, the Fangraph stat WPA slash leverage index, so win probability added slash leverage index, um, the only reliever on the team who comes out substantially ahead of uh, basically average in this category is Brandon Workman, who comes in with a mark of 1.47. Marcus Walden, Matt Barnes, Ryan Brazier, Josh Taylor, and Hector Velasquez are all a slight tick above average, and everybody else on the team who's pitched in relief has been below average in that category. But if you have just one reliever who is... Uh, operating in that that positive, that substantially positive area, um, you're not going to have a good bullpen, flat out. I mean, if you compare that to, to the Yankees, for instance, the Yankees in that category um, have at least, they have five, f- one, two, three, four, five guys who are oh. uh, head of the Red Sox second best pitcher. Not surprised. Yeah. The only way that that model works is if your starters go eight every time. And these Red Sox starters have not anywhere close. I mean, they've it, once this entire year, they've gone one turn through the rotation just getting to the sixth. So a terrible bullpen coupled with nothing from the starters, and this is what you get. 
Yeah, and uh, it's not good. It's not good. Nope. So, and it's not a surprise. I mean, the bullpen is performing exactly how we expected them to. Is it not? Yeah, I mean, th- we we talked about this being a problem before the beginning of the season. Um, and Dave Dombrowski at his press conference, just yet another uh, ridiculously stupid comment by him, said that he does not regret the offseason construction of his bullpen. So, great. Glad you're happy with it. Um, at the end of the day, the Red Sox now entering this game against the Yankees tonight. Uh, we're recording this during the start of the game. Uh, 13 and a half back of the Yankees. They have no chance of winning this division. In fact, uh, let me give you a mathematical probability of the chance that they have of winning this division. Fangraphs gives them a 0.3% chance of winning the division. Um, and let's see. Uh, baseball Prospectus gives them a 0.1% chance to win the division right now. So that is not happening. Um, and if you were expecting them to win the second wild card spot or, you know, Maybe the first wild card spot, which would be bold of you. Um, they are six games back of the second wild card spot as well, um, and they have a what is it? Seven point six percent chance to win the wild card, a wild card spot by Baseball Prospectus, and right now they have a eighteen point nine percent chance by Fangraphs. Um, Overall, Fangraphs has them at under 20% to make the playoffs, and Baseball Prospectus has them at 7.8% uh, to make the playoffs. Now, on August 1st, uh, Matt and I talked about what we thought the playoff percentage uh, chance was for the Red Sox. And at that time, I said 25%, and Matt had it at 40%. Um, mine was a little bit lower than the odds that Baseball Prospectus had. I would now agree with Baseball Prospectus fully. I think they have about a five to eight percent chance of making the playoffs at this point. Where do you stand? I think they're going to make the playoffs. So give me a percentage. Um, so I guess that would be over fifty percent. I'll go with fifty-one percent. Why are you so optimistic? I have no fucking clue, man. It's just a it just, gut feel. It, yeah. I I don't know. I just feel like <laughs> the, the team's too – the team is – I just keep coming back to there's way too much talent on the team. And I, I maybe this goes to what Dombrowski was saying and maybe they'll figure it out. By the way, his citing Joe Kelly, what a joke that is. That – Literally laid, made me guffaw out loud. As wait, what? What did his? So someone asked him uh, why he thinks players will just get better, and he was like Joe Kelly. <laughs> that was his. That was his exhibit A for our guys, just all of a sudden turning it around out of nowhere and becoming good. Like, man, if that's your go-to. For, yeah, I don't know, man. There's got to be like anyone else in your tenure as a GM that you could use instead of Joe Kelly. <laughs> like, whoo, boy, that was that gave me a good chuckle. But anyway, I I just the offense is too good. I mean, the pitching has been incredibly inconsistent, and it's been frustrating as hell. But like, Sale's gone through stretches where he's been really good for like three or four starts. That's probably all you need to get this turned around. It's just sale 
with three or four good starts in a row. Because, so David Price largely has been pretty darn good this season. There's a bit of that rocky business his last couple starts since the Eckersley stuff, but maybe him stepping away from the team for a couple days has kind of cleared that out of his system and he'll have an okay game tonight. But I feel, it. I mean, what a like a full 180 that I actually believe in David Price on the mound now. But Eduardo Rodriguez, I feel pretty darn confident in him. I mean, he He's lost been the, the game best on starter. Yeah, he lost the game on Friday, but I, I mean, if you look about it in context, he gave up the grand slam in the first inning. And he didn't give anything up after that. And the offense just kind of struggled to push guys across. They had, that was the game that Ben and Teddy led off three innings with a double and didn't score. That's not on Erod. Couldn't push him across. So, just Sale figuring it out for 15 days, coupled with Price and Rodriguez, and I don't really know what's going on with Cashner, but you know people have rough transitions to Boston, so maybe we can just chalk that up to that. But I think uh, that's Cashner's really just mean. not a good pitcher. Just well, just there's that. FYI. <laughs> yeah, but I think that's all you need is just. A good 15 days from sale, yeah. and Price and Erod continuing to be as good as they are, and that's 600 ball, and then you're right back in it. And they've got three against Cleveland. I got another four against Tampa. I don't know. I don't. I don't know why I feel like they're going to make the playoffs, but that's the best explanation I can give you. Well, I love your optimism, um, but yeah. I will be. Uh... We'll be fully into my uh, NFL news at that point because I'll be watching football. Um, all right, so let's get to the listener questions here, and I hope Matt. Uh, I hope t- Matt. God, um, I hope Keaton is right about this. By the way, I'm not purposefully jaded, but I am. Um, Matt Kitson <laughs> has our first question, our first listener question. He says, true or false, the Red Sox won't be playing meaningful baseball by the time the Red Sox play their first preseason game. I say true. Patriots? Yes. So Thursday, you what think you they're say? done? I say no. I think they're done now. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I guess if I think they're making the playoffs, then I think no. <laughs> So there you go. We're split. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, ben Jacobson says, who, if anyone, gets cut and brought up if the team keeps performing like this? Do you see any roster moves on the horizon? I, I think the only one I see is Tanner Houck getting his debut at some point for one of the struggling relievers. Yep. That was actually the same one that I was going to bring up. Um, I mean, Dahlbach. Just went to AAA. If he has a solid month, then he, maybe he's up in September. But that'll be when rosters expand, so they wouldn't really need to cut anybody for that. But uh, I wouldn't mind punting each and every one of these relievers into the sun uh, and starting clean with a brand new bullpen entirely. So, um, yeah, let's give Tanner Hauk a chance. Yeah, why not? Okay, our next question uh, comes from... Jeff Wax, and he says, should Alex Cora have the players watch Al Pacino's halftime speech from the film Any Given Sunday? Yeah. Yeah, it's a good speech, right? I mean, the, the they were the Sharks, right? That was the, the football team. They were the Sharks. I haven't seen it. 
You haven't seen any given Sunday? <laughs> no, but I, I have seen the speech like on YouTube and, and junk. Yeah, it's a good speech. Um, I also recommend the uh, the speech from Miracle. That's a really good one. I would say um, the speech from Friday Night Lights, the movie, and a pizza party. to bring everybody together. Okay. All right. I like it. I like it. A Chavis question for you, this next one. Chris yeah, Henderson hard says, no. <laughs> what do you think uh, will the route be for first base on opening day? I'd say Chavis, but wouldn't oh. be surprised to see them go in a different direction. He could be traded for pitching, maybe. I thought it was the other Chavis one. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I, was, I was wondering why you were so against this from the jump, but... Um, maybe you can answer Chris's question after actually looking at it. Yeah. Um, yeah, you brought this up, I think like the end of last year or as we were coming into the off season or the spring training this year, I think you hit it on the head. I definitely think that's the route at first base. Yeah, I could see it. I could see them not wanting to spend the money on, uh, Jose Abreu in the off season, someone who's older and, and more successful and just rolling with Chavis. I do think that they have an eye on Dahlbeck for that position as well. I wouldn't be surprised to see like Chavis yeah. and Dahlbeck be competing for that position. Um, just cause there's not a lot of really good free agents at the position right now. Well, we talked about before on a previous pod that their one position of organizational depth is a uh, third baseman that'll end up at first. And so that's uh, Chavis, Casas, Dahlbeck. So I wouldn't be surprised if that's the, the spring training battle at first between uh, Dahlbeck and Chavis. That makes and sense. Let's, let's just clarify, too. Dahlbeck isn't ending up at first because he can't play third. He actually plays a great third base. He's ending up at first because Devers, you know, that's it. It's, I guess it's potential that if if everything goes as uh, perfectly as possible, that they could bring Devers up, I mean, uh, Dahlbeck up to play third because he's, he's even better defensively than Devers is and move Devers to first. But I doubt that they would screw with Devers like that. Yeah, I hope they learned their lesson from that stupid Bogarts experiment where they made him play third for Steven goddamn drew who they later traded that, to the yankees for nothing yeah and how that messed bogarts up and so hopefully they will not do that again with devers yeah that would be great if they refrained next question comes from lewis is sad about trades uh and simply lewis just says the red Sox semicolon or no colon full colon why Keaton, why? <laughs> why the Red Sox? I don't know. Boy, that is a great question. Um, uh, Dombrowski? Yeah. Uh, you know, let me let me just answer this for you. If you find yourself very intoxicated and you, and, and you come to standing in someone else's bathroom staring into the mirror, that's your answer. <laughs> 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 All right, next question comes from Al Sands, and he says, is there any way that this team can shed salary and have more financial flexibility? Also, is this offseason a time to tell Mookie to negotiate? We can't overpay for him and let it impact the big picture. 
we have too many long-term questionable commits. Okay, so I think the first part of the question asks us, who then can we look at to shed salary in the upcoming season? And one of the best uh, resources for this is actually the Twitter follow that you can look at called uh, Red Sox Payroll. And the way that they're estimating things for this upcoming 2020 season um, they estimate the arbitration figures for these guys and, and salaries. Um, there's not a whole ton that the Red Sox could do. I think they could shed some money if Pedroia decides to retire or they uh, buy him out, which is $13.75 million on his contract for next year. Um, JD, if he decides to opt out and the Red Sox don't sign him, would be another twenty-two. Uh million there but I um I really don't see them finding a way to get rid of anything else substantial because their big commits are sort of locked in they would have to trade price and at his contract I don't think anybody would want him yeah even though he's pitched well he's not a 31 million dollar pitcher no it'd be 33 right yeah and no one wants him yelling at your incumbent Hall of Famers on your team. <laughs> yeah. Um, but they, they do have some interesting uh, arbitration raises for some of these guys. They're estimating $28 million for Mookie Betts, $10 million for Jackie Bradley, $8 million for Erod, um, and then slightly smaller for, for some of the other ARB guys. But Andrew Benintendi, they're estimating at $5 million for his first ARB year, which I think is probably about right. I was going to say, I like to wait and see uh, MLB trade rumors, our uh, projections. They're usually like spot on the nose with what they end up actually being. But we won't know those until like the first week of January, second week of January. Or maybe it's like late December they come out. It's not for several more months. And we'll death pot about it. Sure um, will. The the total arbitration money that they are projected uh, is sixty point nine million. Uh, by the way, um, all right. So the other question is Mookie Betts. A lot has been made about the idea that you sit Mookie down in the off season and you present him with a real offer and say sign this offer or negotiate with us or we're trading you. What do you think about that? I think he will laugh in their face. About which part? The negotiation or the trading? The trading part. I mean, they would need to... I mean, whatever it's going to take to sign him, I think they need to do it. And they can do it. And they should do it. But I, th I think he... I mean, it makes sense from his point of view to get to free agency, right? So... He probably just wants to do that. And just because he goes to free agency doesn't mean that he can't return to the Red Sox, which he absolutely should. There's no reason he shouldn't. But So devil's advocate here. Uh, a lot of guys that go to free agency don't actually return to the teams that they become a free agent from, and the Red Sox could get a substantial haul of prospects for one full season of Wookiee Betts. Well... Correct, and normally it's because they're not willing to pay whatever the market value is somebody else is. That is the issue, and that's the Red Sox should be willing to pay him whatever it is 
that he should be paid. He should be paid more than um, Machado and Harper, not as much as Trout. So somewhere between the three thirty and what was it four fifty, four fifty, four hundred, whatever. I think it was four hundred. I don't remember. Yeah. So three fifty, three sixty, maybe. It's probably what he's worth, and probably what they should offer over whatever ten twelve, whatever those contract lengths contract lengths were. <clears throat> so if they're not willing to actually pay him what he is worth on the market, then yeah, I guess then they need to trade him. But to me, that would be stupid to let a guy who's going to be 27 walk. That mm, I don't like that. Uh, For what it's worth, I agree with you. I think you do whatever it takes to re-sign him and that doesn't include trading him. So yeah, I just wanted to give the devil's advocate argument, but I agree with you. Uh, next one comes from Polly Baseballs, and he says, "Why is Chris Sale's xFIP and ERA substantially different?" And I think Polly, this comes down to the fact that Chris Sale, uh, especially if you've been watching him, you've probably realized this, but uh, he makes too many mistake pitches over the middle of the plate, which get absolutely creamed for home runs. And when you look at what he's been doing this year versus years past, he has a 19.6% home run to fly ball ratio this year, which is by far the worst of his career. Um, And everything else is pretty much in line with his career norms. Uh, So it's really just the home run ball and the left on base percentage that's been absolutely murdering him. So that's why it looks all wonky right there. Yeah, and the strikeouts. The strikeouts help the XFIP quite a bit. So it's way lower because he strikes everybody out. Yeah. That he doesn't give up a gopher ball to. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Matthew, no tweets. Quimby says, how do team win game? Team win game with starting pitching, but have no starting pitching. So team don't win game. Yep. That sums it up. Brian Pickett says, why is baseball? Baseball, we like that sometimes. Agreed. Lance Edmonds says, almost every player who went to the White House has been bad, inconsistent, or hurt. Barnes, Moreland, Sale, Pierce, Porcello, Ivaldi, Brazier, Wright, Thornbury. Those who stayed home, Xander, Devers, Vasquez, uh, carried the team. Is this the new curse? Oh, wow. Uh, I no, not, I don't uh, think it is. Put, put two and two together. Yeah, I would I would also I, – I would, I would just also agree with you that it's probably not the new curse, but that is strange. Yeah, it would have been nice if one white player – kind of stuck in solidarity with the other their other players but they wanted to go to the white house that's fine hembry loves donald trump loves him so if you're a trump guy you should buy a hembry jersey um or thornburg yeah and that's all i will that's all i will (laughs) say on this podcast about politics uh forever um and if you want to know where I stand, just check my Twitter. It's pretty fucking easy to figure that out. Um, <laughs> Chris Balf has our next question. He says, why does the pitching coach not take more blame? We talked about this. Um, there's always an accountability issue. Fire the manager, which is dumb, typical. More importantly, he isn't doing a good job bringing the right people to analyze video and find issues. Um, give him another year, Chris. I, I think we need to see this team in a more normalized year. I think they learned a lot from what they did in the offseason. Um, and I still believe in guys like Bannister, and I think I believe in Levangie as well. So I think we got to give him a little bit more of a pass. Would you agree with that, Keaton? I'll be convinced that they learned from their mistakes in the offseason. 
after this upcoming offseason. Okay. I need to see a change before I can believe a change. Brett has our next question, and this one's definitely for you, Keaton. He says, number one, who do you think you are? And number two, what gives <laughs> you the right? It's a rock. Uh, I'm just going to leave that one alone. Um, Richard has our next question. He says, no questions, just statements. The pitching staff should all be DFA'd, every single one of them. Maybe keep Workman if Fernando Rodney isn't available. Um, Richard, that's gold right there. Uh, that's a very, very good statement. Um, also, we missed Richard's question on the last podcast, and it was a thoughtful one. So apologies, Richard. Thank you for listening, and uh, we do appreciate the statement. Um, Usama Mahat says, is Michael Chavis the new Will Middlebrooks, or is he worse? Since Will, Will, Will Middlebrooks can hit high-velocity fastballs, does he mean landing Jenny Dell as a wife as a high-velocity high velocity fastball, or does he actually mean baseball? Boy, the pride of UMass right there. <laughs> um, yeah, so this is the one that I meant hard no on, not the uh, should Chavis play first base one. Uh, so I know people are annoyed that all of a sudden Chavis has cooled off and he strikes out a bunch. But I just wanted to point out he's 23 and this is his first taste of Major League action. Uh, and he's actually done pretty damn well against it. So someone else who's done uh, pretty damn well, would you agree that Fernando Tatis has been doing well? Yes. So Fernando Tatis and Michael Chavis are striking out at basically the exact same rate. They're both over 30%. Oh, wow. Yeah. And all throughout the minors, Tatis has struck out more than Chavis. So... Just because he's striking out a bunch doesn't mean he's bad. Just, he's 23. Give him a chance. He played literally all of 20 games at AAA and 33 at AA. He played less than, or basically 50 games at the AA and AAA level, and he's at the majors already. So, give him some time to adjust. He'll be okay. He's better, be better than, than Will, Will Middlebrooks. Middlebrooks. Yes. He will be. Might we not have a hotter wife, but, you know. No. No. He will most certainly not have a hotter wife. <laughs> um, certainly not a more talented wife. By the way, Jenny Dell has been um, raising a child, and uh, recently her new thing was to uh, be the host of, or the, not host, but... Um, I don't know what you call it. The reporter uh, from the World's Strongest Man competition in Bradenton, Florida. So check that out. It's a fun competition. She, she does a job. lot. She does. She does like a bunch of college football stuff too. She's all over the place. Yeah, she just signed a college football thing. So definitely check out Jenny Dell's work. She's super talented. Uh, Mike Teague has our very last question of tonight. And he says, this season has been a complete aberration for sale. I still think he's a top five pitcher in the AAL, just having a bad year. What do you guys think? Is there any advanced stats to suggest optimism or am I wrong? And this is just the new Chris Sale. I kind of agree with Mike. I have so much faith that Chris Sale is going to figure this out in the offseason. Uh, come back stronger, better. Um, I think pitchers go through this. We saw it with Justin Verlander. Uh, a lot of people wrote him off as, as done. I think there's a lot to still hang your hat on with Chris Sale. Um, 
and you've studied him extensively too, so I'm curious as to what your opinion is, but I like him for a bounce back next year. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I really, it had just had a lot to do with his slider command that was just kind of wrecking everything else that he does. Because when he can't locate it, then they're just sitting on the stuff that they know he can locate and then launching it. So it makes sense, um, especially someone who's as meticulous as he is. Like, he's not going to allow this to happen for another year. So, yeah, I think I agree. Um, it just kind of happens. Like, I think we remember, was it Beckett's first year in Boston? His ERA was like almost five. And then the next year he was like second in the Cy Young, won 23 games, something like that. So it happens. Sure does. Uh, so look for a bounce back from him. But um, that does it for our podcast. We have run very long tonight. We are at an hour and 12 minutes-ish, um, but that's going to be cut down a little bit. But um, we do appreciate everybody tuning in. Uh, I've had two beverages, so I really do have to go to the bathroom. So I'm going to go ahead and wrap this thing up. Um, this has been your Over the Monster podcast. I have been your host, Jake Devereaux, and I am joined by Keaton DeRocher. You can follow Keaton on Twitter at, at the Spoken Keats. You can follow me on Twitter at, at DevJake, and you can follow the Over the Monster account at, at Over the Monster. We always appreciate you following us, um, asking us questions. Uh, interacting us with us with us there and please subscribe to the podcast we do appreciate that and we have grown some since since being on together and we hope to grow some more so please tell your friends about us uh, we do appreciate the download today and we'll be with you uh, rain or shine for these red Sox uh, playoffs or no playoffs for the rest of the season and into the offseason i'm one follower away from 500 get them there thanks friends